0: Would you turn in your Bibles to Psalm 4? We are working our way through the Psalms this summer, and we have made it to 4 so far, and it's been a joy uh, for me personally. I pray that you are encouraged by it as well. I've titled Psalm, uh, the sermon here for Psalm 4, Who are You Gonna Call? And maybe what immediately comes to your mind is Ghostbusters. But who are you gonna call? Now, uh, You know, a Ghostbusters joke at the beginning of Psalm 4 may feel a little bit out of touch with the psalm. It's another personal lament from David. But I want to ask that question, who are you going to call? When you're stuck, when you're in distress, who do you call? Right, Kids, maybe you can think of this. Who do you call when, you know, you're stuck? You know, maybe you can't find that Lego piece for that set. Maybe you, you know, you're afraid who do you call? Maybe you call your mom and dad. Right? Maybe the adults. Who do you call when you're stuck and in distress? Maybe you call your mom and dad. I know all too often my, when I you know, dial the phone number, I've got off by heart to my mom and dad. They know and answer, what do you want? Or maybe not what do you want, but what do you need? <laughs> because I might not be always calling just to chat. I've got a question. I've got wise parents, and so I call them when I need help when I'm stuck. But when you're really stuck, who do you call? Maybe you do call your mom and dad. Maybe you call a friend. I can, as I scan this room, it is a beautiful picture of people that I know. If I call for help, they will be there. I think of people that have been there for me since my childhood that I see here. I see people that geographically, you know, if I knew my basement was flooding, if I was in distress, I know I kind of have a bunch of Close. I could, you know, Trevor, he'd be over in a second. Sean would be over in a second. Alex would be over in a second. Dan would be over in a second. These people live a couple blocks from me, and I know if I called them, they'd be over to help. So again, who are you going to call when you're stuck and in distress? Maybe it's a fellow church member. As members of this church, we've covenanted to care for one another, and some of that is practically, but maybe that's to, to be with one another, just to, to be a listening ear. Maybe, too, when you're stuck or in distress, you call the doctor. That's a good call to make. Uh, Often that is the best call to make. Maybe you call 911 when things you're really stuck, you're really in distress. But think about that. Who do you call when you're in distress? As we look at Psalm 4 this morning, David shows us that we can and should call on God when we feel stuck. We can and should call on God when we feel stuck. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, yeah, okay, even if you're saying that's true, like David, we should call on God when we're stuck, but we still sometimes need to call the doctor, and we still sometimes need to call 911. And I don't, that's true, right? I don't discourage those things. It's not what I'm suggesting. But I find it interesting, if you're anything like me, and if you're not, you're better than me. <laughs> but I find when I say we need to call on God, I need to qualify that by saying, oh, but we also need to call these other people at times. But why, when I think of that list of who would you call when you're stuck, I don't qualify that by saying, oh, but I also need to call on God. I don't know if anyone else resonates with that. But it's interesting when we think about that, when we think about calling out to God in prayer, when we ask the question, who are you going to call? It makes us think, what is our thought on the effectiveness of prayer, the effectiveness of calling out to God? And what does that teach you or tell you about your understanding of prayer? If that's maybe the last thing we think about or we think, oh, yeah, of course that's a good idea, but it might not be helpful. And so what does that tell you about your understanding of God? And so our big idea this morning is quite simple. Our big idea is this. Call on God when you're in distress. Call on God when you're in distress. Call on God when you're in distress. We're going to see through Psalm 4 a number of things. We're going to see calling on God. We're going to see trusting in God. We're going to see finding joy in God. And we're going to see finding rest in God. If you have uh, the bulletin this morning, you'll see those points listed there. But let's work through Psalm 4. We see the beginning of Psalm 4 starts with another title. We talked about the titles of the psalms last week, uh, not the necessarily bold one that we see. Again, in my Bible, it says, answer me when I call. That would be added later with the numbers uh, to kind of sort things out. But the next little title underneath says, to the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. So we see this psalm is attributed to David, and it's to the choir master or the worship leader with stringed instruments. So a little bit of musical instruction on how this song would be uh, sung or performed or put together see this this week i get the strings and uh next week josiah lord willing will be preaching and he gets the flutes and so uh psalm 4 to the choir master with stringed instruments a psalm of david let's hear god's word together answer me when i call O god of my righteousness you have given me relief when i was in distress Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Selah. But know that Yahweh has set apart the godly for himself. Yahweh hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts, on your beds, and be silent. Selah. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in Yahweh. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Yahweh. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Yahweh, make me dwell in safety. This is God's word. And so our first point I want to go through this morning, as I've said, related to our big idea. Our big idea, again, to review is call on God when you're in distress. And our first point is call on God. All right, pretty straightforward. Call on God. We see David models this right out of the gate in verse 1. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. David models that our first call should be to God when we are stuck. That's the language when he talks about, you have given me relief when I was in distress. That idea of distress is not simply troubled, it's, it's feeling cornered or trapped. And so what he's saying, when you have given me relief when I was in distress, he's effectively saying, you've given me a way out when I was stuck. I was cornered and you, you made a path for me. And it makes me reflect personally and I hope it makes you reflect personally, what is our instinct when we are stuck, when we're in distress? We don't know the exact context of Psalm 4 like we have as much clarity that we had in Psalm 3 when it talks about uh, a Psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. His own son was coming after him, you know, orchestrating a coup to take over the, the kingship. We don't have that exact context. People... Uh, generally seem to think that these psalms are are kind of a package deal. They go together, a morning and an evening psalm, and that the context very well could be the same situation that David's going through with Absalom. We don't know that for certain, and it doesn't really change our interaction with it. David faced a number of trials in his life, but we see that he reflects on past distress, and he's calling out to God for help. He calls out to God And we see he doesn't say, Lord, if you're available, could you hear me for a sec? He says pretty boldly, answer me when I call. Oh, God of my righteousness, you have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer, exclamation mark. He calls out boldly. Now, when you're in distress, what is your instinct? Is it to call out boldly to God? I know mine is to shut down. I just kind of tunnel in and look in. It's not to look up. I just kind of shut down. Other people, you know, they see a problem, and they need to solve it. I'm in distress. I'm stuck. I'll find my own way out. Others is to lash out. When you're backed into a corner, fists start flying. David shows us, he boldly calls out to the Lord. But that leads us to a question, is this appropriate? Is this reverential? Is, does David have the right to say, answer me when I call? Well, we see that David models this, and we know this to be true, that David calls out to God not because of his own righteousness, but because of God's righteousness. Again, I've read it five times already, but answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. God's righteousness is God's commitment to do what is Right? and rescue his covenant people. That's what David appeals to. Not, answer me when I call. You owe me that. He says, answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. And he reflects on past work. He says, you have given me relief. Again, you have given me that way out when I was stuck, when I was in distress. And then he brings it to the present. He says, be gracious to me and hear my prayer. So there's this past relief he reflects on, and then a call to action, a call to act. He says, Be gracious to me. Reminds me of a, a very helpful verse I find when I think about prayer. It's from Daniel's prayer for his people in Daniel chapter nine, Daniel nine, eighteen and nineteen. It's a good reminder for us that we can call out to God. We can say, oh, Lord, hear. Oh, Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, pay attention and act. But we don't approach God because of our righteousness, like we see in Daniel. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. That's the way that we approach. That's the lens we look through. And that's what David does. He appeals to God and his righteousness, and he appeals to God's past work. We see if we scan down a few verses to verse 3. It says, but know that Yahweh, you see the Lord in all caps, uh, being God's personal covenant name. But know that Yahweh has set apart the godly for himself. Yahweh hears when I call to him. He reflects on the work that God is doing, not the work that David himself is doing. We you know David was set apart as king. He was anointed. We've considered that as we've worked through the Psalms already. And so, in a special way, he was set apart. But we too are set apart as God's people. Now, we're not you know, anointed in the same way that King David was in that immediate exact context and circumstance. But when we look at that verse and we say, but know that Yahweh has set apart the godly for himself, Yahweh hears when I call to him. It makes us ask a question. You know, Am I godly? Is this, is this about me? Has he set me apart? And it's an important note that we are not godly in and of ourselves. We have failed miserably. We sin. We've turned against God. We've rebelled against him. And David is no squeaky clean individual too. We've considered that before. He is deeply flawed. But so are we. God, the creator and sustainer of the universe, created us in his image to be like him, to have dominion over the earth. But we, from the very first man and woman, all the way up to us, we have all rebelled against him. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But what's amazing is the good news of the gospel. That's what gospel means, good news. And whether you've heard it a hundred times or a thousand times before, whether you've never heard it before, I want you to listen to the good news because we are not godly in and of ourselves. But Romans chapter five says this. Romans chapter five, starting at verse six. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Not the godly, for the ungodly while we are still weak at the right time christ died for the ungodly for one will scarcely die for a righteous person though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die but god shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners christ died for us and so the good news is that god the creator and sustainer of the universe made a way for us to be made right with him we can't do it based on our works we can't do it based on our own righteousness we have no righteousness but he sent his only son into the world to live a perfect life that we could never live, yet die the death that we deserve for our sin, paying the penalty for sin, becoming sin, you know, bearing the weight of sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. He traded places. He subbed in and out with us. and He didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead. He demonstrated that God's wrath had been satisfied against sin. And by trusting in Jesus Christ, we could be saved. We could have eternal life. By turning from our sin and trusting in Christ as our righteousness, not our own righteousness, Christ as our righteousness, we could be made right with God. That is the good news of the gospel. And so don't uh, turn down your proverbial hearing aid if you've heard that before that good news is good news forever you don't just need good news at conversion you need good news all the time because we are all sinners in need of a savior but the good news is that that is a free gift by grace alone that's held out to us and if you've never responded to that good news before and you have more questions please come talk to us we would love to share more about the hope that there is in christ that when we read verses Like Psalm 4, verse 3. But know that Yahweh has set apart the godly for himself. Yahweh hears when I call to him. We can confidently say that I can call on God because God has set me apart, not by my own righteousness, but by Christ's righteousness. That's the good news. And that's how we can go to God and say, answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. If you've never heard that or responded to that, I ask that you would respond to that. Turn from your sin. Trust in Jesus as your only hope. And again, come talk to us. We would love to share more about this hope that we have. But this is the lens that we look through when we talk about calling on God. When we ask the question, who are you gonna call when you're stuck? We call on God and we can because of his righteousness. So that's our first point, call on God. And our second point, trust in God. Trust in God. Again, to review, how can we trust him? Well, because he has set us apart as his people. He's made a way for us to be made right with him. You see that in verse 3. And because of his past faithfulness, we see that in verse 1. But we see David shifts, and he starts talking to people in verse 2. Right? He calls out to God, and then uh, kind of the audience changes in verse 2 says, oh man, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? This word here for men uh, could be translated to men of rank. It's often used as a, a kind of high status thing. And so he may be saying, you know, those in leadership, those in, uh, with some kind of a status, that's who he's calling out to. But we can read this uh, as an important uh, way to look inwardly because we see David lays out a contrast. First, he says, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? He's being slandered. And then he says, how long will you love vain words and seek after lies? As we consider what it means to call on God and trust in God, the opposite of trusting in God is loving vain words and seeking after lies. So David gives us this contrast, the word here for lies, uh, depending on what translation you have, some people will uh, even take it to, say, false gods. How long will you trust in false gods? How, uh, how long will you seek after these lies? It reminds us of, or at least it reminds me of Psalm 1 that we looked at a few weeks ago, seeing the contrast between a tree that's planted by streams of water that sinks its roots deep into The water, the source of life, which is the Lord's instruction. And the opposite is chaff that gets blown away. And that same picture is painted for us in verse 4, that there is a God that can be trusted, that we looked at in verse 3. The Lord who hears me when I call to him, who has set us apart. And then this alternative, it's how long will you love vain words and seek after lies? So we trust in God, not in lies, not in false gods. And also we trust in God and not in our emotions. Verse four, be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your own beds and be silent. It's a tricky little phrase at the beginning, this be angry. It could be translated in a few different ways. Be angry is a, a good translation, but also we could say be agitated or be distressed. Remember, this is the lens that David's, Looking through, as he writes this psalm, he talks about God giving him relief when he's in distress, and we see another contrast that we say, you know, we're not, we're not, none of us are immune to being in distress. So he's saying, be distressed, but do not sin. Be angry, do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts, on your beds, and be silent. That's an interesting kind of exhortation he gives after the fact here. Ponder, reflect, Search yourselves, be silent, personal reflection. I read an interesting article this week that talked about how we all, well, maybe we all don't, but often a lot of us talk about we want the quiet life. You know, you want to be sitting next to a wood-burning stove and reading a good book and have a cup of tea. We all talk about this wanting a quiet life. But if we're honest, we are terrified of silences. We are terrified of being alone. We always need to be in the know. We need to hear the controversy or the conspiracy. We need to be heard. We need to be validated. And you know, I bash social media a lot, and I apologize for that because there is some good out there. But, but I think we see this evidence in a lot of our social media. We need to be heard. We need to hear. We need to, uh, you know, with fear of missing out. We're not good at slowing down, at pondering, reflecting. And our lack of trust in God is seen so clearly in the fact that you know we could be in distress and we do sin because we don't ponder in our own hearts. We don't ponder on our beds. We don't be silent. And So David says that is not the solution to your distress. As we ask the question, who are you going to call? It's not by just being a noisy gong. And he says, It's not the solution. So find a way or find some ways to build in quiet reflection into your life. Go for a drive and, you know, don't put that podcast on. Stand in line and don't be one of the many that just stare at our phones. That seems very practical and maybe moralizing what we see here, but it's an important thought that we need to slow down. That when we're in distress, we need to quiet our hearts before God. We need to call on him, and we need to ponder. Next he says, offer right sacrifices and put your trust in Yahweh. Worship him. Offer right sacrifices. Now the context, we know that by Jesus coming and dying on the cross for our sins, we no longer have to offer uh, right sacrifices in the way that uh, maybe David would have been talking about, where we need to have animals uh, die on our behalf. We have the perfect sacrifice in Jesus. But what he's talking about here is worship. Offer right sacrifices. Put your trust in Yahweh. Now no sacrifice apart from Christ's sacrifice can earn your salvation. There's no work that you can do. There's no goodness that's good enough in your life that can pay the debt that could only be paid by Christ. But we see that our worship is a response to that perfect payment. Our worship is a response to what he has done for us. It's a demonstration of our trust in God. So our lack of pondering and being silent and offering wrong sacrifices, trying to work out our salvation ourselves, is the opposite of what it means to trust in God. And so we see these contrasts. And it continues in verse 6. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Almost saying, like, what's in it for me? Who will show who will show us some good? But then we see that we need to call on him and trust him. Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Yahweh. Trust in God. Call on God. Trust in God. Our third point find joy in God. Find joy in God. Verse 7 You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. Worship is not a chore. God gives a joy beyond material possessions. Our affections change. We behold a greater glory. Consider the lies that we saw in verse 2. How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? We spend our lives pursuing idols that could never bring us a full sense of joy. This kind of joy that we're talking about. We see the idol of security. We see grain. uh, Could be for us. Money. Our job. Status. Comfort. Security. We see the idol of pleasure. When he says wine. Alcohol. Drugs. Vehicles for lust. And each of these things boil down to an idol of self. What are we looking to find our joy in? Is it that security? Is it that pleasure? What are we really, truly looking for joy in? If you reflected on your own heart, how could we answer that question? And it boils down, again, to this idol of self, self-protection, self-preservation, self-pleasure. I don't know if I've talked about this before, but it drives me crazy. I apologize if this ruins the commercials for you, but skip the dishes. Their slogan is, you deserve great delivery. It's like We've created such an idol out of self that I deserve great delivery. I know that's a trite example, but we're bombarded with this message and our own sinful hearts send that message that we deserve security, we deserve pleasure, we deserve joy, and I will find my joy however I need to find it. But if our deepest joy is our earthly possessions or experiences, I want to tell you, you are aiming far too low. You're aiming far too low. That is a sad way to live. These things cannot bring us joy. They might make us happy, but they can't give us this deep-seated, true joy. When we're stuck, when you're in distress, I know I've given kind of funny examples of being in distress, but I know as I look out and I look into many of your eyes that there are many here who have faced real distress, real struggles. You, when I say backed into a corner, you know what that corner is, and you may be in that corner this morning. And so when you are stuck, when you are in that deep, deep, dark, distressing, overwhelming corner, Those possessions, those pleasures, those securities, they won't do anything for you. They might numb the pain, but they will not die for you. They cannot give you joy that we can find in the hope we have in Christ. We can have righteousness because of Christ. That's something we can't do on our own. And no pleasure or idol can do that for us. We can be set apart by grace alone. Those pleasures, those idols, they don't set us apart. We can have joy beyond earthly possessions. Again, don't aim so low. And we can, and this is our final point, find rest in God. As we call on God, trust in God, find joy in God, and find rest in God. Verse 8, in peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone... Underline that in your Bibles. Alone. For you alone, O Yahweh, make me dwell in safety. Okay. If you were here last week or if you listened to the sermon, you may say this sounds kind of familiar to what we read in Psalm 3. Psalm 3.5. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for Yahweh sustained me. This is why some people think it's a morning and evening psalm. That when you're in distress, when you're in trial, when you're in trouble, read Psalm 3 in the morning and Psalm 4 in the evening. Rest in the hope that we have to say, I lay down and slept. I woke again, for Yahweh sustained me. And Psalm 4, verse 8, in peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Yahweh, make me dwell in safety. There's a past reflection and a present future hope. My life is so counter to this. Even these last few weeks, Psalm 3 and 4 have been punching me in the face. Because I lay awake at night and I'm just stewing. And my mind's just going, 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 going. And it's about the, the, the dumbest things. So my life is so counter to this. But we see that this is really just the idol of self creeping out. You know, what are people going to think about me? How am I going to handle this situation? How is this going to work out for me? It's okay to have trouble sleeping sometimes. It's not a direct reflection of your heart. There's other things going on but I know for me, often it is that. That what David says in verse eight is so opposite to what I really am saying in my own heart. But as Christians, we should have this on our lips as we live each day and as those days close that we could say, in peace, I will both lay down and sleep. This is bigger, though, than simply a good night's rest. I don't think it's less than that, but I think it is more than that. This is a peace and a hope and in turn a joy that we talked about beyond this life only. We think of many Christians who have gone before us and have had these sweet words beyond their lips as they have died. And this can be our prayer too. We can find rest in God. We can find peace in him again alone. We can find joy in him beyond earthly comfort and pleasure, and we can trust in him because he has been faithful. He has set us apart. He is our righteousness. I want to tell you about a man who understood this. You know, I like telling stories about people in history, but uh, a number of weeks ago, I talked about uh, a pastor from the 1500s named Hugh Latimer who... Uh, if just to refresh your memory on the story he was brought in and questioned for the things that he was preaching being against the monarchy at the time and he was just preaching scripture but they said what did you say uh, you know recant what you said and he said well okay here's what i said and he just preached the same sermon back to the king and to everybody listening so that was a man of boldness and bravery And if you remember how the story ended he ended up being burnt at the stake for being a heretic a supposed heretic but an interesting story is Hugh Latimer was burned at the stake, on the same stake as a man named uh, Nicholas Ridley in 1555. They were tied to the same stake, and they died together. And the night before, uh, knowing that their execution was coming, uh, Nicholas Ridley's brother offered to come and comfort him. He said, let me come and be with you. This is going to be a hard night. And Nicholas Ridley understood Psalm 4 verse 8 because he replied to his brother in this. He said, I intend to go to bed and sleep as quietly tonight as I ever did. That's a man who knows the peace of God. I intend to go to bed and sleep as quietly tonight as I ever did. He found rest in God. And when I think of the silly things that keep me awake at night, the things that occupy my brain 99% of my day. I'm humbled and I'm honestly ashamed. But this is the call. We need to call out to God. When we're stuck, when we're in despair, when we're in distress, we need to call out to God. Why? Because we can trust in God. What will we find? We will find joy in God. And beyond just joy, we will find absolute rest in God. So fix your eyes on God. Trust him. Find joy in him and find deep rest for your souls. Come to him. Go to him. Be laden. He will give you rest. Receive his peace. Let's pray. God, we ask for your help and we call out to you. You have given us relief when we were in distress. You have set us apart you have made a way for us to be made right with you, and for that we praise you. We thank you for the gift of your son, that it's only because of him that we can be made right in your eyes. But God, we thank you that you made that way for us, that we can call on you because we can be seen as righteous not by our own doing, but by your doing, by your grace, that we can trust in you for your Past faithfulness, your present faithfulness, and the confidence we have of your future faithfulness. We thank you that we can find joy in you, and we thank you that we can find deep rest in you. Would we all grow in our understanding of that joy, that rest, and the access we have to you, our King, to call on your name, to pray, and to find that kind of rest that Ridley knew that we can know as well. God, as we come to share in the Lord's Supper, as we share in this time, reflecting on your past faithfulness and our future hope. We ask that we would come, again, understanding the gravity of our sin, but the weight of Christ's glorious sacrifice. We pray all these things in his name, the name of Jesus. Amen.